Welcome to Inspirations in My Backyard. Original, relatable, authentic. Inspirations in My Backyard reflects human journeys shared through inspirational stories around our local heroes. Come and join me. Let's explore now. Now we are just going to turn clock back. So, looking back to your life, right? What would be the biggest lesson you've learned? Oh my god! What would be the biggest lesson? I don't know, actually. Maybe I'll just、uh, say, you know, I've got this、uh, this little piece of paper in my office from Kurt Vonnegut.、Uh, he's a, a, a writer, an American writer, who said, you know, the only The only rule that I know is that you got to be kind. <laughs> I guess、Aww. that's probably the the biggest、uh, lesson. You know, be kind、mm-hmm. to yourself, be kind to others. I think there's more big lessons to to come in my life. I don't know, <laughs> which is a little bit scary, but <laughs>、mm-hmm. I think I have a lot of more learning to do. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's so you know so important to be kind. Yeah. To to everyone to this society,、mm-hmm. uh, what about the biggest challenge you you've ever faced in your life? Again, I've been so I've had such a privileged、uh, upbringing and you know so in that sense I've been really lucky. I guess my challenges are have been more sort of personal with myself. Personal transformation is not an easy thing, and that's why a lot of people don't want to do it because it can be painful and yeah, and challenging. <laughs> So yeah, I guess it's it's been one of、um, self acceptance. I think that's been and the greatest challenge, personal challenge, self acceptance and yeah. How do you think that we can better accept ourselves? You've got to love yourself. You've got to again be kind to yourself.、Mm. Be kind to your own flaws and but be being open to. I don't want to say like improve yourself. It's not really about improving. It's not about you know there's something wrong with you, and it's it's more about just becoming more aware of what you do and what you why you do it. It might not be, it might be more like a defense mechanism in in ways in which you react. And how might you change patterns that you do by habit, but you're not really happy about them? Like you know how you maybe you get. Really grumpy about something, and then you feel like,、oh, why do I always get like that? And you don't like that. So, just looking into the patterns of thinking and behavior, and I don't really like that of myself.、Uh, I think it's not really serving me. How can I change? So it's not about you know this thing about you know very neoliberal thing about how do I become better, you know,、mm-hmm. smarter, more courses or thinner or whatever. No, it's not. That it's 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 a different kind of a different kind of growth, I guess. Yeah,、mm. and yeah, even you know that if you're not you know super famous, rich, or whatever, that you feel yeah that you you know you, there's there's intrinsic value in in the life that you lead. If you can really connect to that and be at ease with that and. There's probably more value in having empathic relationships and with those close around you. That that's enough, yeah.、Mm-hmm. And then, what would be the most courageous decision you've ever made in your life so far? Oh gosh, I think it's often just things that might seem small or uneventful, but it's about moving again. 
in the direction that you want to move rather than, I think for a long time for me, it was about, again, like my student, you know, studying the right thing, doing the, the thing that others expected you to do. I guess to have the courage to, yeah, to follow the things that you do want to do. And sometimes I'm like, that might go flop, you know, that might not go right, but that's, but that's fine. No, it's part of the, the learning process. So I, I don't, I don't know that I have, you know, courageous, it is, maybe it's smaller steps. So there's a no particular moment that made you have this shift in, in terms of mindset. No. And I think that's often, I mean, there are times when people can have these moments where, mm again, out of a disruption or trauma or something quite big that, you know, mm. pushes us to change. But I think transformation takes place over a really long, mm-hmm. over a long time. And it's actually not, not something that ends, you know, it's an ongoing thing. I guess, you know, both universities or organizations, they want like a quick fix. Okay, give us something, you know, people can change in, in six months or in a month where we give them some training. Well, no, it doesn't happen that way. It just mm-hmm. takes place over a really long time. As I said, you know, it was like five years ago that I was feeling, you know, a little bit uh, disillusioned with my career. And, you know, it's taken me a long time and I'm still on that on that journey, yeah. You know, uh, when I asked you this question, I saw you say, when you went to China without knowing any Chinese, I think it wasn't courageous. It was just naive at that time, you know, fresh out of university. I just thought like, oh, an adventure. Yeah, no, I didn't see it as a, <laughs> so there was no courage there. It was just like, yeah, great. <laughs> Even yeah. though, you know, you faced so many challenges when you were in China, but you still, would you uh, like, did, did you regret that decision? No, not at all. Not at all. No, no, no. That was, uh, yeah, that was some great, great years. And I guess that's the benefit when you're young and <laughs> don't think, don't have a lot of responsibilities. You go, yeah, well, no, I'll just do it. Yeah. yeah. For other people, it may have seemed like really. That's right. People will say like, no, because that's what I told about my friends. I said, oh, have you been to China? And they said, oh, no, I do want to go, but I can't speak Chinese, you know, I can't speak Mandarin. So then they just really stopped them from going there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I think for your decision, people will feel like very, very brave. Yeah, no, I'm, I may have, it might seem like, but I, it didn't feel like, for me, it didn't feel like I, I, it was a big stretch to cross. It just kind of like, yeah, this is great. Let's do it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, you have a very big focus in China as well. What, what made you feel that, you know, you spent so much time doing research in China space? Uh-huh. Well, I was really interested in, in China. What was what was happening in Chinese society as a result of that economic transformation and opening and after the society had been closed for, for decades. So I just thought it was fascinating what people had to were going through where they basically their whole world was upended. And then suddenly markets and, and new values uh, about, you know, getting rich. I mean, this was something completely foreign, you know, in, in the 60s and 70s, like they were um, going through the whole, you know, cultural revolution and, and this whole idea of uh, equality and self-sacrifice. Imagine that suddenly you're thrown into, and, and that's where you see these, you know, really big um, 
clashes between different generations, um, how those who were born before 1980 think that young people are just, you know, materialistic and naive and lazy or whatever. And so I was just interested in how the society was transforming. Like it was like suddenly kind of like pushed into like people. It was, I guess for many people, it was both exciting and scary. And so I, I just kind of like really, really fascinated by that. Yeah, I can see that you're not really um, interested in transformation in personal level, but also in country's level as well. Yeah, for the things yeah, that I mean, you're doing. And mm. if you think about it, people would have been going through their own personal mm. challenges within that, that context. You know, mm. People who, who were laid off as a result of, you know, state-owned enterprises being going bankrupt or being, mm. or changing ownership. So like, we, we can disassociate, you know, if, it, if within the context of um, systems thinking, everything is related to everything. Yeah. And as I said, you know, we can transform a system, a society without transforming, without people actually changing the way, you know, where they're coming from, that inner action logic from which we are operating. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, we are just kind of like tweaking the same system that doesn't work but let's put it this way no we have to think kind of like from outside and 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 rethink how the system might work from a completely different paradigm i guess Mm. so i guess at the beginning i only saw it as when i got engaged in china as a a social transformation and sort of like more thinking about institutions government institutions and policies and so on because that's that's what I've been doing, you know, social policy and welfare policy in China. That's what I've been doing for a long time. But uh, I mean, now I'm more interested in more personal transformation that is taking place around value changes among young Chinese people, their view of things like giving to charity or volunteering is completely different to their parents uh, and their grandparents because they're, you know, they're growing up in a, completely different environment Mm. Um, as you know you know there were no charities Mm. uh, before 1980 (laughs) they were banned you know it's like you know the the elite trying Mm -hmm. to control the people by making themselves look good by giving charity and similarly volunteering was always not really voluntary it was like you were told during communism you've got to volunteer volunteer for this and so these were the kind of views that prevailed in that society. And our young people grew up in a completely different environment where giving to charity, given the big economic income inequalities in China, they're seeing that inequality and they want to do something about it. They want to change mm-hmm. things. They want to volunteer with NGOs and things like that. So. Yeah, it's very, it's very different. It's a big change. So is there anything in particular you want to tell current Chinese students in regards to transformation space? Because uh-huh. you said now you're more interested in discover the personal space. I mean, again, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm in also in, in a learning phase. I want to I wanna see how, because values don't change that, again, that easily. They're, mm. you know, they're, they're, quite, um, they're quite resilient even when your context might change completely, you might hold on to certain values. Uh, again, in the Chinese context, it will be about family, 
mm -hmm. about yeah it would be about loyalties to to mm -hmm. parents uh, and so on and so how young people are negotiating changes uh, in that what's the biggest uh, value that you like about chinese people i guess chinese people in general are very hospitable very sort of very welcoming in general very very welcoming and very generous uh again you know they're very family oriented and they provide a lot of support and um, you know you can feel that that can be you know also coming from a very family oriented um, culture in mexico you can you can see how that might be oh that constraint but a um a, a big uh, resource you know like on the one hand you know the research i was looking at some research around marriage and marriage practices um, and how for even for young Chinese people, their parents' opinions of their partner is really crucial to their decision whether or not to marry somebody. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really strange for a lot of uh, uh, people in the West. Like yeah. if you love somebody, why wouldn't you marry even if your parents say no, like you would mm -hmm. marry them, right? And we see how important their parents' opinion is because that means, you know, this person is going to be then part of the family and we want to maintain that. I guess that's something, you know, that we look at and go, but why, you know, from a more Western perspective or individual, that makes no sense for mm -hmm. for somebody to to act that way. And so mm -hmm. Definitely. I think that's why if we want to truly connect with people, we really need to dip in to see the value and, you know, behind the reasons. So in, instead of just judging, say like, oh, I just can't, I can't understand. We are in different world. But I feel like if you dip in, that's where I think you can form more about understanding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. You know, see where they are coming from. Yeah, definitely. Okay, now let's bring back because <laughs> we are supposed to focus on your story, your lesson, life, life lessons. So the next question would be, what would you tell your younger self? Oh, what would I tell my young self? To again, same message as before, be kinder to yourself. Don't be so... I think I've... I've I've been very harsh on myself. So, so now let's uh, look into future. Right? If you can do anything in the future, you have all the resources, money and time, what would be your top one dream that you would like to achieve in your life? Oh my God, you, got, you give me really hard, <laughs> really hard question. What would I do? I think I would still be in a continued... Um, a learning pathway. I would continue working in in education, if not, probably not part of the university. Not because I don't think it is. A, I would be probably engaged in university, uh -huh. but there are, you know, there are all these other responsibilities part of your uh, of your job that take a lot of space from the work that I would really want to concentrate on. You know, the admin and this and that, and so. If I didn't have to, to do that, because it's a really fast pace and I think you need time to, again, to build relationships, to build, like you were saying, you know, with your, your, uh, with your blog uh, that you feel like, you know, you don't have time or you just want to get it all perfect. And sometimes we need, we need to, to give ourselves the time to develop those things. Um, mm -hmm. and they, when you're in the, in the constant, you know, having to deliver all the time in this fast-paced mm -hmm. life. Uh, there's no space for reflection. There's very little time. But we can run ourselves down by trying to do too many things. So I think mm -hmm. 
not having that pressure or responsibility of, of a normal job and just being able to go at your own pace, that would be like ideal for me. So I would probably work in, again, community development and, and education. And how do we get young people more closely involved with, with community work? Mm. Yeah, to make it more more real, to make their to give them a sense of what they can do to change their communities, to change the things that are important to, to them. Mm. What do you think young people can benefit from involving more in community work? I think that we could would gain a, a great sense of purpose. Mm. I think a lot of the oftentimes, you know, students we, we complain as teachers that students only concentrate on marks. Mm. But that's the system that we put in the main. Like it's only normal that they're gonna concentrate on marks. If at the end of the day, those marks are the ones that determine whether they go into another degree or what university or what job they get, well, why are we so surprised that they're just focusing on that? But then there's very little space for real-world interactions, and the issues that are happening in our communities are very complex. And we compartmentalize everything at university, or at least the ways in which our disciplines work. This is, this, but in the world, those boundaries are not so clear. And you, and you really see, you know, when students are involved in something that is real-world issue and experiential, that they they not only learn more about again about their own capacities, mm-hmm. they learn about what they what difference they might be able to make. Mm. in the real world and I think that gives them a lot of reward I mean I think the worst thing to do is to be in a job where you don't feel like you're making any difference I mean mm. in, in a way that was part of my own disorienting uh, situation where I felt like mm. I could make more of a difference but I wasn't making it even even as an academic in this you know that for many people would be like wow this is like the dream job mm. which can be but you've you've got to be clear how to to achieve that. Yeah. Thank you. So now we are going to do a very fun activity. So it's going to be easier questions. <laughs> Another section, which is rapid fire section. What comes to your mind first? And then you just answer. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Now let's start. Inspirations in my backyard. Original. Relatable, authentic. First, who is your role model and why? I have two or three role models. They're all really amazing women who are doing a big difference in helping other people create their own transformation. So these are not women who are, you know, famous or in important positions, but through the work that they do and through the connection that they build, they, yeah, they're, I really admire and, and they become role models for me. Mm, yeah. That's lovely. I think that's the that's reason why I, I like to do this podcast as well, because I feel that a lot of things that we can learn from the people around us and the, the strengths and the power they have. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. The next question is, is there any good daily habit you would like to share with us? Well, at the moment since COVID and since working from home, I've been going out for a run every every day. That's very uh, good. I'm lucky that, that I have, um, the, you were very close to a creek and there's mangroves. Um, that, it's 
I guess I would say maybe not even not so much the exercise. I mean, the exercise, of course, is great, but mm. that being in nature, mm. and I go early in the morning when there's very few people out and about, and the quiet. Um, again, being able to be around the trees, that's been really good for both my physical health and my mental health. Mm. And these days, again, I was telling you about the gratitude practice. That's been such a great practice. But I guess any practice where you reflect or you look at uh, your day, and I do do meditation as well, so mindfulness. I try to, you know, even just a short 10, 15 minute meditation, that I find that that's really, really helpful. So those are my. My daily habits. Yeah. Lovely. The third one is, I know you're a researcher. You must have been reading so many books. So, is there any one book that has ever changed your life? Um, I don't think there is one. You know, one book. I think there's always different things that uh, that that you read that kind of just. It's like a puzzle. You know, you're creating your your own puzzle, and you read stuff. You read poetry. Uh, you read essay, you read fiction, and it all kind of builds on 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 who you are and so on. But I, it's on, at the moment, what's sort of coming to me that I've been reading more recently is um, Pema Chodron. Pema Chodron's book. She's a, a Buddhist uh, monk, and her book that I've just recently read. Um, the title is something like "The Places That Scare You." And going there in order to again to to grow. That's that was a I really recommend our our book. And then there's another little book that I read recently. It's called Ethical Know How by Francisco Varela. It's the um, science of cognition. Where in this this little book about ethical know how, he incorporates his um, his own sort of scientific knowledge into what he calls embodied cognition. What he's saying is that the way in which we our cognition works, cognition means you know the way in which we make sense of the world, doesn't happen just in our heads, but it's a it's a constant interaction between our our body or actually our senses, our past history, like what we did in the past and how we are sort of we are learning uh, from that, our context, and then the this whole rational thinking it's it came much much later in the evolution of human beings uh, and so our the way we think about things it doesn't just you know that's kind of like come much later we need to understand how we are our emotions we are our bodies um, and that and so he links that to the way how we might use that to think about ethics um, and what's you know what's good and what's wow um, so he, he wrote three lectures, he already passed away, but he wrote, you know, he was asked, you know, what does this mean then to understand now that cognition doesn't just take up as, a, as the rational thinking, that there's you know, there's emotion that is involved, there's our senses that are involved in our past history, and that that's always, it's not like they fit into the brain, it's like, it's like a network. What does that mean then for how we understand the good life um, and how we understand what's you know ethical or unethical, and he draws on also looking at um, sort of more traditional practices like Buddhism, and he looks at Confucianism as well, and how oh. those more traditional mm. practices thought about um, yeah. what was ethical, as opposed to to ethics more recently in the Western world, where uh, rather than interrogating 
what really is good we talk about within our context what is considered acceptable and not acceptable It's a little mm. bit difficult to explain. <laughs> yeah. Really- I know, I feel like, oh, it seems like more <laughs> for researchers read. Uh-huh. No, it's really, it's a really great little book. It's it's not very long because it's just three lectures that he gave in Italy. It's called Ethical, okay. Ethical Know-How. It's really, I, ah. I mean, it's, it's yeah, really great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sounds sounds very interesting though. Yeah, from what you 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 talk about, and I can see all the passion you have for that book. So for people around, check it out if you are interested in this topic. It's actually not a new book. It was published, I think, in the 1990s. So it's a bit classic one then. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Next question would be: What's your happiest moment this year? I think it's been that uh, I've had more time to spend with. With my son, I know it's it can be again it can be a challenge, especially when you know when schools were closed. Yeah, and you have to learn. Mm. How to, but it's yeah, it's been a real joy to to spend more time with him and see him, yeah, see him grow and and learn. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's been mm. a really good. The other thing has been that again, despite Lovely. despite all the challenges. And perhaps mm. because of the fact that we're all sort of isolated to some extent, um, it's been able to make so many connections, you know, like connection with you uh, through the meeting. That's right. Thank you all. So somehow people have been, have been mm. really responsive and I've been able to, yeah, to make a lot of great connections. Oh, I want to say the same. It's been so good. Yeah. And then the last question would be, do you have any mantra or your favorite quote that you would like to share with us? No, I didn't actually have a mantra. I'm thinking like, would you say, would you say be kind? I think that would be yours. Is it correct? You need to be kind. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I mean, I, I also really like poetry and so I, I often print out, you know, bits of poems and I put them all over my my office. Uh, uh, I really like uh, John O'Donoghue, uh, an Irish poet, and his writings about uh, thresholds. And so a threshold is really a transformation, right? It's that space where life yeah. changes and how do we, mm-hmm. how do you react to, to that? Because, no, I don't mm-hmm. have a man. I guess, yeah. My, my new mantra will be, you know, you've got to be kind. <laughs> mm, lovely. So, do you have any final words? No, thank you very much for this really great uh, conversation. I very much enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much. I feel like I, I've lost so much from you about your sharing and the, the work you, you have been doing in this higher education space. And I just feel like it's just so important for what you're doing and the project you're doing for our students and the students, what, how, how they, can, they can find their belongingness and identity. That's something I just found is just super important based on my previous experience, also my Yeah, my um, current work with other international students. So I, I really hope that, you know, we as students, but also as um, education institutions, we can learn from your practice and then put that into place. But also there will be more students who will be more involved in community work as well. Thanks for listening. If you are enjoying the show, please make sure to follow, share, rate, or leave me a comment. 
This podcast is written, produced, hosted, and edited by me, Xie Chen Zhang. Stay well, and I'll catch up with you next week.